Meet Camille. She's 38 and has been dealing with tons of mysterious ailments. She was feeling tired, having joint pain, feeling unstable, and just not herself. She saw many doctors and finally found that she had an elevated ANA, a marker that can mean lupus and other autoimmunity, but no one that she saw could tell her where this was stemming from or how she could fix it. So that's when she came to see me. After looking at her results, I ran some more panels and saw that she had elevated antibodies for her thyroid and also an elevated HSCRP, which stands for high sensitivity C-reactive protein. And all of these things pointed to inflammation. So I knew I had to put all these pieces together so we could get to the bottom of this health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about Camille and all of the mysterious symptoms she was experiencing. Joining me on the show today to talk more about Camille's case is Dr. Keisha Ears. Dr. Keisha is an integrative medicine expert, a popular speaker, and the best-selling author of Solving the Autoimmune Puzzle, The Woman's Guide to Reclaiming Emotional Freedom and Vibrant Health. She is board certified in functional medicine and Ayurvedic medicine and is the founder and medical director of the Academy for Integrative Medicine Health Coach Certification Program. Dr. Keisha, welcome. Thank you so much. So both on the show and in my practice, I continue to talk about looking at the whole body when we look at health challenges, because it's really about looking at the various factors and identifying our individual triggers. And many of these triggers can be biochemical, and we explore a lot of these in past episodes, but many are emotional and have a lot to do with our past experiences and our beliefs. And they're so important that they can, and they often will influence the biochemistry itself. And for some people, they can be really obvious. For others, perhaps a little bit less obvious, but they're still just as important. And for Camille, her blood work showed markers of inflammation and autoimmunity, and getting to the root cause of where this was stemming from was really paramount to her healing. So Dr. Keisha, can you please tell us how are our emotions and experiences tied to inflammation and tied to what our immune system is doing. Well, in 2013, I conducted a study called the Healing Unresolved Trauma Study or HERT study. And what I discovered in that study was, is the explanation for exactly this really great question that you're asking. When we are young, our brains are not yet fully developed. The prefrontal cortex, the part in the very front of our brain that we call the adult brain or the executive function part of the brain is not yet fully formed for kids. And in fact, it doesn't come fully formed until we're about 26 years old. So when we experience trauma, when we're in our younger years prior to 26, and I'm going to actually say that every single person on planet Earth experiences trauma uh, throughout their lives, including in childhood. And we'll talk about what that means here in just a minute. But when you experience something that you can't really explain when you're a kid, remember, we're just little humans trying to figure out how to be big humans. And if we don't have a fully attuned, grounded wise caregiver 
in our pocket at all times to help us navigate experiences we don't understand. And, you know, none of us do. And those of us that are parents are also can't not be there for every single experience our children go through. We make stuff up in response to those experiences. And so we're supposed to, we're, we're supposed to be very self-centered at that time of life. We're, we're figuring it out. And so we'll make up meanings about our experiences that have to do with us. Like, for example, parents who get divorced will often find that their children blame themselves and think they could have done something differently so that their parents would stay together when in fact that has nothing to do with it. So that's how it is when we're kids. So we create a meaning that will go with whatever experience that we just had that we couldn't understand. And then from there, we will adopt a belief And from there, we will create an adaptive strategy that's a behavior to go with that meaning and that belief that we created as an upset child. Well, the interesting thing is, is the way we store memories and the way we store information, we carry all of that into adulthood with us. So that later, whenever we get that same button pushed, you could say, then we'll have the same exact response that we did when we were kids, unless we intentionally, after the age of 26, go back and rewire and restructure and reframe that. So what happens biologically, physiologically, is that we have that experience, we experience an emotion that we relate to it, like fear or panic or anxiety or sadness or pain, anger, and we will have that feeling show up in our body somewhere. So it has a body memory, okay? Mm -hmm. And that same body memory will occur in adulthood when we have that same feeling. So if we feel anxious in adulthood, we had a, a fingerprint of that in our childhood about feeling anxious over a very similar meaning and belief structure when we were little kids. So then we have that, we have that emotion, we feel it in our bodies, it gets wired in there, and then our nervous system responds, which is supposed to, right? So if we are feeling anxious, then the nervous system will say we're in danger. The brain will send the proper chemicals down to the rest of the body. They're called the neurotransmitters to tell the body what to do next. They alert the adrenal glands, the little guys that sit on top of the kidneys that respond to stress response signals to either flee from the danger that we're perceiving or fight it or freeze. Now, that same fight, flight, or freeze, and the cortisol, which is the hormone that's released from the adrenal glands that that lets us get away from, if we think we're a zebra being chased by a lion, it's helping us get out of danger. That cortisol that gets released helps us to have better strength. Our muscles get oxygenated. It makes our blood pressure go up, our heart rate go up. It makes all of the hormones related to reproduction and sexual desire go away. Because if you're a zebra being chased by a lion and you're about to get eaten for dinner, it's not safe to stop and have sex and definitely isn't safe to reproduce in that moment. And also your digestive system goes to sleep because it's also not safe to poop or pee while you're being chased by a lion. And the other thing that happens is you start taking in information differently. So that zebra is not paying attention to the temperature outside or how the grass feels under its hooves while it's being chased by a lion or the birds that surround it. It's actually just looking at the horizon for any place of safety. 
So when we're in this perceived stress mode and we think we're being chased and we don't know if we're going to survive, then that's the biochemical stuff that happens. And our hormones are not designed to continually stay in that mode. So if you constantly perceive yourself as overwhelmed and stressed and like you have a lion on your tail, then the cortisol that's released from the adrenals constantly and continuously is going to start breaking down your gut wall. And it's going to start creating a deficit. Eventually, it'll run out of cortisol. And your adrenal glands, because survival wins over reproduction, will begin to steal your progesterone stores from your ovarian function or testosterone from your testes if you're a male. And so then that creates what we call a hormone imbalance to the layperson, right? We always say, oh, I have a hormone imbalance. Well, you know, like my patients will come in and say, I would like to have bioidentical hormone replacement because I read a book or an article or heard you speak from stage. And I realized that I have a hormone imbalance. But the problem is, is that if we just address the thyroid gland, or we just address the pancreas and our, our blood sugar balance, or we just address our ovarian function and our hot flashes and our memory and our whatever else is vaginal dryness. We're not really getting to the root cause. We're not getting underneath why our hormone stores are being reallocated. Okay. Cause that's what happens. Survival wins over reproduction. So if you have had a lot of emotional stress throughout your life and, and what I call capital T trauma, and again, I'll make that distinction here in a second, then what'll happen is you've run out of all of your stores and your body, which is very wise in how it tries to rob Peter to pay Paul to remain in balance, finally says, I'm out. I've got nothing left. And then you start showing symptoms and it'll behave like an autoimmune trigger or some sort of inflammatory response or a change in your menstrual cycle, or you've all of a sudden have pain or brain fog, or it'll be dysbiosis, you know, gut changes in your microbiome. And everyone always reports this as an all of a sudden occurrence, and it's not. It's been going on for a really long time, and your body is finally just run out of maneuvers. And so that's what happens when you continuously believe yourself to be overstressed, overscheduled, overchallenged. And if that started when you were really young, which it usually does, then it's been going on for a long time and your body's just exhausted. Yeah. Wow. It, it's so interesting how you connect all of that, because I think that so many of us think of stress as something that's happening right now. Kind of like you said that, okay, well, we just have a lot going on. We're overscheduled. There's a bunch of things we have to do in the family, financial work and whatnot. But what you're saying is that there are certain traumas, and we'll talk about that in a second, but or certain experiences that we had in childhood that sort of start that stress response that then creates these beliefs. And then everything kind of stems from there. And on top of that, that that sort of gets imprinted, as you were saying, into your body. So then it kind of becomes physical from some of the experiences that you've had. And I think that's the part that most people don't really think about, or they may know they've been exposed to something, but they think, well, that was a long time ago. I've dealt with it. And a lot of times I think for people dealing with it means shoving it under the rug, you know? Yeah. It's becoming very over adaptive. And so we remember we come up with an adaptive behavior to match our beliefs and I'll give examples of that, but you know, what, what 
I was saying earlier is that everyone's had trauma. Well, capital T trauma would be the stuff you normally hear me say when I say trauma. It's the stuff you automatically think of, you know, it's sexual abuse, domestic violence, psychological and emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, neglect, abandonment. Those are all the capital T traumas. Lowercase T traumas turn out (laughs) to do the exact same thing to your hormones and your biochemistry and the same brain damage occurs as somebody that has PTSD from capital T trauma. And lowercase t trauma is any experience of rejection in childhood. There is not a human alive that hasn't experienced rejection of some kind at some point. And we're biologically wired to know that if we're rejected by the community and put outside the firelight circle, then the saber-toothed tiger can eat us. And so it's, it's experienced as a very traumatic event when we are rejected. Mm. So that's why I say everyone has had trauma. And it's interesting because I've done a lot of therapy for a lot of patients over the years. And many of them came to me for physical issues. And then when we started diving into the root causes, discovered that they'd been following nutritional protocols and spending hundreds and even thousands of dollars on supplement protocols and laboratory testing, you know, from functional medicine, which is, I also run and I also use supplements and nutritional protocols, but they can't be done in isolation of what's between your ears because what's going on as far as your own perceptions of stress is actually what's driving all of this at the root of the root. And so that's, that's something that gets left behind And it's really hard on people by the time they come to see me, they're so frustrated because they've been, you know, my health coach certification program, I developed for what I call the summit junkie. You know, it's, it's, we have so many summit junkies, people that are listening to your podcast, people that, that tune into my mind and and my blog and listen to me, you know, when I'm on summits or do my own summits, there's a lot of information out here and it's easily accessible. And so people have become very, very educated and very savvy about what can happen in their own bodies. But what they don't get and haven't started to realize is that that prescriptive perfectionism and rigidly following a plan is actually part and parcel of what's gotten them sick in the first place. Every single person with autoimmune disease has perfectionism. That's one of the tenets of Ayurvedic medicine, which is the 10,000 year old framework of medicine that comes out of India. That's the sister science of yoga that actually helped me reverse my own rheumatoid arthritis 24 years ago was really listening to this as I read it listening to it in my head loud and clear as it reverberated through my skull. And it said, autoimmune disease is undigested anger. (laughs) And you know, 10,000 years ago, they were saying this. And I just remember thinking, I'm not an angry person, you know, and very angrily, you know, (laughs) assessing whether or not this was true, which is what we do. We assess what we listen to, what we read, and we, we decide, we compare it against everything that we have decided in our life before now. And we decide if, you know, that person is cracked or if they have something of wisdom to share. And usually it's because they're sharing a worldview that you created in childhood. And so, you know, the willingness to self-confront those worldviews, to self-confront your own belief structures, to self-confront your own, um, I'm going to say culpability in your health is 
what gets you better. And so people will say, well, are you telling me this is my fault? And, and that's, you know, that's a paradigm that I try and shift my patients out of where, where you start saying that this is to blame or, you know, this, this blaming, shaming thing. So you're saying this is my fault is absolutely not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that what is between our ears, what's going on in our minds, I always say, if you have a hypervigilant mental system, you have a hypervigilant immune system, you know, because again, Ayurveda says what's in your mind is crystallizes in your body, crystallized in your body. Just really confronting that and going into, so where am I angry? You know, where, and, and I was a consummate people pleaser at the time I was diagnosed when I was 30. I don't even think I would acknowledge that I ever felt anger. I was really all about caring for everyone else around me. It's what most of my patients with autoimmunity fit that, fit that picture. And so I started to have to really start working with the word autoimmune. And I went, Oh my gosh, auto, that does mean that I'm killing myself right now. Mm -hmm. And that's in essence, a societally acceptable way of committing suicide. So I don't really want to die. Was there a time in my life that I did want to die? When is the first time I wanted to die? And that was a very, very important question for me because what it did, I was at this time point in time, I had discovered yoga and Ayurveda, which I was not familiar with at the time of my diagnosis. I'd gone into the scientific research and found an article about yoga and autoimmune disease and decided to try it. And I sat and I, I was learning how to meditate. So one day in my meditation, I was really, really working on this word autoimmune. And I, I started going backwards in my timeline and looking for a time when I wanted to die. And I came to a 10-year-old little girl version of myself who was being sexually abused by the vice principal of my elementary school. And I thought, oh my goodness. Yeah. I thought, oh my goodness, this has to have something to do with my RA. This would definitely be, it would go under the category of undigested anger. I've really never dealt with this. And I thought the word digestion of emotions was such a beautiful concept. Of course, we have to digest our feelings and our emotions and our memories and our experiences. Why don't we have that way of thinking about things? Right. All we think about is digesting our apple. You know, but what about all the other things that we bring into our system? It's not just through our mouths. And so I thought, okay, I really need to work on this and think about it. And so I started doing some really serious um, trauma healing work. And, you know, within six months, my rheumatoid arthritis was gone. And yes, I changed my diet. And yes, I did, you know, the things that, I teach my patients to do today where I did some laboratory testing, I did some detoxing. And much later when genetic technology came out, I, I'm familiar with my genetics now and I'm loaded for cancer and autoimmune disease in my genetics. And my grandfather had RA. So, you know, if we were to go by the science that we knew when I was 30, 24 years ago, then it would have just been a genetic issue. And you would have shut the book and I would have had to take all the medications my rheumatologist wanted me to take, which I never did take. And, you know, it would have been this incurable 
irreversible disease process. And that's still the way we look at it. Oh, you yeah. know, rheumatologists across our country still say food has nothing to do with it and definitely don't address how you think. And, oh, did you have any experiences in your childhood of rejection or places you felt fearful or capital T trauma that maybe you need some help digesting? So that's, that's something that also I, I just want to add to all of this is that I mentioned earlier that you get brain damage when you have PTSD and when you perceive your life as chronically stressful. The prefrontal cortex, the one I was talking about, that's your adult brain that's not online until you're 26, actually shrinks in volume. Well, that's the part of your brain that actually determines what you decide to put on the end of your fork and in your cup. Mm. It's how you determine who you're going to hang out with and marry and, and how you're going to be in terms of your willingness to take care of yourself in terms of self-care. All of those things are determined by your adult executive function impulse control center, which is your adult brain, and it shrinks when you think you're always stressed out. So the good news about all of that is that it's reversible. And, you know, the, the thing that I've been starting to write and teach a lot about is the fact that these moments of great challenge that Camille's going through right now, right? These, these moments of I have an autoimmune diagnosis and I'm coming to you for help with that as my, my nutritional coach. Well, that is in effect what what Joseph Campbell calls your hero or your shiro's journey, where you've gotten a challenge from life that seems insurmountable, like you're in pain and you've got fatigue and you can't parent your children the way you used to, or you can't put in the hours you used to be able to at your job, or you don't have any energy left over to have sex with your spouse. You know, all of the things that, or weight loss is an issue, you know, all the things that drive you to see someone like me or like you, that, that would be called a call to action. And in that moment, you don't have the right skills in place to solve the problem. So, you, so what happens in the hero's journey is you go find a mentor and you learn new skills. That would be you. That would be me. And once you get those skills, you have to then go integrate them. So he talks about going into your innermost cave to integrate them. And then when you come out, when you've learned all of this, then life hands you all kinds of really beautiful opportunities to practice your new skills <laughs> so that you master them. People often get very angry about that process, you know, uh -huh. and then, and that, that could be the times when, you know, you're, you've learned how to modulate your emotional world, but, but something happens and you get flooded and, and now it's an opportunity to practice what you just learned or, you're going out with friends and you're practicing being gluten-free or alcohol-free and, and it's a big temptation and it's a challenge and you get upset by it, you know, but that's your, that's your time of mastery. And then when you've really mastered all of that, you come back to your community and to your life as what he calls an oracle or resurrected into a new state of consciousness. And I call this your new state of development. Your, your, we have 10 states of adult development. So in effect, your disease process, your fatigue, your hormone imbalance, your lack of libido, your divorce, your getting laid off at your job or your special needs child or caregiving an elder, you know, all of those become your catalysts for growing up 
into your next level of wisdom. And here's the thing that makes people really pissed off is that then you'll have some place where some time period where you'll have some peace and, and everything will become second nature to you again. And then life will hand you a new challenge and you'll oh, have yeah. new skills for it. And you'll have to go find a mentor and you'll have to learn new skills and you have to integrate them and master them. And that's the way life works. And we're not taught that when we're young to expect that. And so, you know, the emotional challenges that trigger something like autoimmunity or cancer, um, it's because we had an expectation that we wouldn't have to go through that. I gave a talk from stage in Austin, Texas at the Paleo FX conference last weekend. And one of the things I said from stage for the very first time, and I was wondering how people would take it. And I had people coming up to me afterward crying and saying, my gosh, you touched my heart. And this, this meant so much to me was this idea that we have these expectations for some reason. And I don't know why. And maybe you can answer this. I don't, I don't know why, but we are, we are somehow in a state of expecting that we won't have to suffer. I don't, I don't get that. Like, why would we think that we won't get diseases or that we don't have to suffer or that our children won't die before us? You know, like people will say, that's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to bury a child. That's not actually true. You know, there's, there's nowhere in the rule book of being a human that says, that you have an expiration on you that lasts until you're 90 plus years old and you're going to be without suffering the entire time. You don't gain wisdom if you have that as your formula for life. And you will constantly be disappointed and upset and going into an emotional response that will make you sicker. And so, you know, one of the things that I do to work with people is to help them reframe their expectations as they're retraining and, and rewiring their brains because it sets you up for success if you expect to be challenged. Yeah, that's such a good point. And, and you are so right. I think people don't expect that. And I, I don't know if it's because, you know, we think that we're in these modern times and we have technology and we have, you know, modern medicine and other things to kind of prevent some of these things from happening. But I think a lot of times it's really the opposite, especially with modern medicine, because we have all these medications that can cover up symptoms, but are not getting to the root as we often talk about. Yeah. And, you know, we, in our mod modern medical miracle world that we have where we can really help people recover from a stroke. If you can get into an emergency room within 24 hours of a symptom, you can get medications that will break down that clot that can actually prevent you in that moment from having um, you know, brain damage for the rest of your life and, and losing the use of perhaps half or, or all of your body, you know, or the ability to speak. That's, that is a miracle. But the, the thing of it is, is it's, it's actually changing what's happening in a disease process. It's not a prevention. We have nothing for prevention in our medical world. And I think that that is a, a misnomer that insurance companies propagate when they say that we cover preventative medicine because mammography is not prevention. It's screening for disease. You know, checking for your cholesterol numbers is not preventing anything, you know, and it's screening for high cholesterol, which actually that's controversial, whether that's even an important data point anymore. Uh, when we combine it with genetics, it can be important, but it's definitely not the end all be all that used to be 
<laughs> talked about in the eighties. And so, you know, it's, it's this idea that because we have technology, we can prevent aging. And that, that's, that's just a lot of really good marketing. Yeah. No, by a capitalist society, you know, <laughs> right. right. No, no, I would think that's what I'm saying. I think people think that because we have this, it's supposed to be this way, but right. in reality, right. It's not prevention and medications, you know, yes, they may help, but they're not actually getting to the root oftentimes, you know, of anything like you're saying for sure. And, right. and I think, you know, to your point too, like if we're not growing, then we're staying the same. Right. And so if we're not presented with challenges, then how are we going to grow? How are we going to learn? So, and I know people do get upset. I know when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's and had all of my mysterious symptoms, I was very angry and it took me years to figure all out and kind of put all the puzzle pieces together. And it was a combo of some of the biochemical and metals and dysbiosis and all types of toxins and deficiencies. But then there was a ton of emotional stuff too. And for me, I didn't have some of the sort of capital T trauma that you talk about. And I think that of course is maybe a little bit, um, happens maybe a little less often, but I had a lot of the lowercase T. And I think like you said, everyone has that. And it's very interesting what you're saying too about the rejection piece and that sort of fight or flight that the body has with that. Because I mean, who hasn't been in a, you know, lunchroom in, you know, middle school and been told you can't sit at that table or you can't play with us on the playground or something like that. I mean, that's just so, so common. It's just amazing how something like that can set off this whole host of events that can happen after. Yeah, it's definitely part of why then you become a perfectionist when you're a child. Like for me, with the capital T trauma with sexual abuse, the meaning I made up at that time was that this world's not safe. And anytime you have safety issues, then you're always in survival mode and figuring you're a zebra being chased by a lion. And so your body will respond accordingly. And, you know, so the meaning may, I made up is I wasn't safe because I wasn't, you know, so the child's not lying to you. It's actually true at that moment, right? It's just not true for their entire lifespan, uh, which is what the muscle memory that's set up happens to keep continue on even after your mind understands your body has, it's off to the races every time then you get into that, oh, I don't feel safe. So I made up this meaning that I'm not safe. The belief I put in place was that I have to be perfect to even survive. And so then I, my behavior was to be a perfectionist and that is not a tenable way to live your life and you will get sick, you know? And so I, a lot of my autoimmune patients have, have reversed their autoimmunity only by becoming recovering perfectionists. (laughs) (laughs) And that is me as well, for sure. Um, Now, can we talk a little bit about what people can do to shift that, to shift that mindset of perfection and to start kind of realizing where their beliefs are, what they made up because of the situation and then what they can do about it? Absolutely. So I would like to offer your audience the autoimmune blueprint. And this is my rules for reversing autoimmunity. And this, the answer to that question is discussed at deeper levels than what we're going to do right now. But one of the things that I will tell people first and foremost is, you know, watch your language. And that's the first place where you start to develop what Eastern philosophy and meditating call the observer's mind. You're really watching yourself speak to yourself. And what you're doing is you're 
you're noting whenever you have can'ts and shouldn'ts, you know, and I'm not good enough and I didn't do that well enough. I'm not fast enough, strong enough, beautiful enough, skinny enough, whatever it is. I'm not doing this right. You know, any places where you're in blame and shame, right and wrong judgment, you just note those because those contribute to disease. You cannot get better as long as those are in place. And so you want to look at places that you're driving yourself from these early childhood meanings. And then uh, there's a whole treatment piece that I do around that, but it's, it's really starting to talk to yourself by recognizing how old you are when you're saying that, like, how old do I feel right now? And, and mm. then go back to that little kid part of you and you need to reparent her. <laughs> you need to say, Hey, sweetie, no, 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 no. You, you know, whatever happened right here that created this need for perfectionism, it's not going on right now in this moment. And I've got this, you do not have to be perfect. And in fact, it's only by the the places that we really fall down that we learn how to walk. It's only the places where we color outside the lines where innovation happens. You know, it's, it's the ability to really be messy that allows us to create order out of our chaos. And so that's where all the beauty and the art in life comes from and being willing to get sloppy and messy inside of our very rigidly held um, constraints of our mind that we created in order to stay in control when we were children. That is the way out of when you're, when you're really hypervigilant and that will make the immune system not be hypervigilant. It will allow it to soften to relax, to stop going after whatever gland or organ. Remember, Hashimoto's mm-hmm. has nothing to do with your thyroid. It has to do with your immune system. And so 75% of immune autoimmune issues, you know, you wind up getting another one. Right. <laughs> after, you know, you just collect them because in, in our paradigm, we start talking about the disease like right. Hashimoto's or RA or MS or lupus instead of you know, in my book, Solving the Autoimmune Puzzle, I have a graphic where I put all autoimmune diseases in one bucket and I just label it with inflammation, you know, and, and what we have to do is get that immune system to calm down, find out why it's creating this environment of inflammation. And then I, I always say it's, it's asking the archer to put down the bow and arrow instead of just going around and moving the target. I love that analogy. That's such a great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it is. Um, it's the yeah. immune system that's confused. It's not the organ that's at fault. It's just really hypervigilant. It's like going into a bar and having somebody shoot first and ask questions later instead of saying, drinks on me, let me get to know you, you know? And so if you're ready to take offense all the time and you're you're always on this this sort of lookout for somebody to be hurting you or you're you're judgmental, then you will have a hypervigilant immune system and it isn't confused. It's just set really high, you know, where it asks, it, it shoots first, ask questions later. And you can't ask something that's dead a question, you know? So I always think about it as the Batmobile is out patrolling instead of the meter maid. And we want meter maids and we want to keep the Batmobile back in the garage for only the big stuff when it's needed, you know? And so we just got to get our immune system to quit coming out full throttle every single time it sees something. Yeah. And, you know, I think what's just so important for everyone listening to really see is that calming it down is really a whole body approach. And 
our emotions, our beliefs, our past experiences, they have so much to do with what started it. It's not just going to heal your gut or removing metals or eating the food. They're all important, right? But we have to do them all together. And this piece, I just think is so just not talked about nearly enough and it's often very misunderstood. Well, and a hyper hypervigilant immune system makes a hypersensitive person, you know, a highly sensitive person has more chemical sensitivities. And so it's just, everything is just highly tuned. Right. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. When we start talking about, I, I'm sure you're this way. I'm this way. Every single one of my autoimmune patients is they're very sympathetic and empathic and empathetic. They're beautiful people. And, you know, highly aware of other people's needs and very intuitive. And I always say anybody with trauma in their background turns out to be, you know, have a gift of being psychic usually because they're so used to be able to read an environment and read people because it's their radar is set at this, like, am I safe? Is that person safe? Is this experience safe? And, you know, there's always a positive to every negative and it's the flip side of the same coin. So what we want to try and do is keep your gifts, right? And let go of the shadow side and and integrate it so that you don't have to be always so highly tuned up. For sure. Well, Dr. Keisha, this has been so interesting and I so appreciate you sharing all of this with us. As we wrap up here, um, can you give us your top three pieces of advice for those that are dealing with any kind of inflammation or autoimmunity and are really looking to approach it from this holistic angle? Absolutely. So I spent yesterday um, in this this really wonderful way, autoimmune proofing my home <laughs> where, you know, uh, I spend some time every once in a while making natural products for our household, you know, or for myself. Yesterday was a bonanza of it. So it's it's really looking at whatever put you put on your skin, you're eating. So make sure that it's everything on a label. If you're using labels, is something that you know you can eat. That would be one thing. A second thing is, is be very gentle with yourself um, in terms of, you've mentioned heavy metals twice, and um, that's one of the things I'm board certified in. And I'm very, very conservative with this and careful. Like make sure that if you're detoxing heavy metals, it's with somebody that knows and is board certified with what, what they're doing because you can actually make yourself so much sicker if your body's not ready for it, if you're not prepared on all levels for releasing that back out into your nervous system. So just go gentle with your detoxing. Make sure you're really individual. So true. Your genetics and your data and what's going on for you because there's not a one size fits all. And then the third thing would be like what I was saying earlier is just to really learn how to observe yourself and what you're what your inner voice is like. Are you speaking to yourself the way you would a small child in a very kind way, you know, in a loving way, in a way that's forgiving and nurturing? Because, um, I don't know, Mark Twain gets, Mark Twain and the Buddha both get credit for saying (laughs) not forgiving another person is like you drinking poison and expecting the other person to die, you know? So it's, it's important to learn how to forgive yourself, forgive others, and forgive life, God, your body, any, any places where you feel betrayed by your body or by the medical system, is that's uh, perpetuating anger. And like I had said earlier, that means it's not being digested well, and that will keep you sick. Yeah, 
For sure. Well, thank you so much for all of this. I really, really appreciate your being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thanks so much for creating a platform where people can learn how to empower themselves. As we just heard, traumas and adverse childhood experiences, along with the beliefs they create, can have a lot to do with our inflammation and immune challenges. And I'll tell you more about what we did for Camille in just a second. But first, if you want to contact or find out more about my guest, Dr. Keisha Ears, please visit healthmysterysouth.com and go to episode number 19. There, as always, you'll find all the detailed show notes so you can reference everything that we talked about and all the links to the resources. And for Camille, we worked on everything from a few angles. First, I worked her through a technique called TRE, which stands for Trauma Release Exercise. Now, this helps the physical body release all traumas, and I'm actually going to have a whole episode coming up on this really, really cool technique, so much more in this coming very soon. And I also worked with her to help balance her immune system and lower inflammation. We did some food sensitivity testing and found that gluten and dairy were not her friends. So we removed those. And then we also used a product called Immune Mod A, which helps to balance the immune system. It has extracts of angiographis, which has been shown to modulate the immune inflammatory and oxidative pathways, and also has N-acetylglucosamine and curcumin. And all of these are in one convenient formula. And while we were doing this, she worked with a local counselor who specializes in dealing with trauma. And even though she didn't have a lot of the really big T traumas, she had a lot of the little T traumas. So this was extremely helpful for her. Between this, the food changes and the supplements, Camille's C-reactive protein dropped to below one in two months. It took a little longer for the ANA, but after six months, it went from one to 960, which is considered very high, to less than one to 40, which is actually considered negative. So we were all very thrilled to see these labs. If Camille sounds like someone you know, please share this episode with them and make sure you subscribe to this podcast because the next health mystery I uncover could be one you or someone you love is dealing with right now. As always, when it comes to solving your health issues, no matter how complex they may seem, don't give up. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.